0: Welcome back to Crazy Face Talk. I'm Erica.
1: I'm Sarah. And I'm
2: Steve. So we are starting a brand new series this week. We are going to be talking about violence in the Bible. This came up a little bit when we were reading through the book of Esther because, um, spoiler alert, at the end of Esther, lots of people die. (laughs) Um, So that kind of makes us a little bit uncomfortable, right? Like, we like to think of... God is love, therefore let's all just get along and like hug each other and not you know, hug each other with consent. <laughs> and, you know, we will get along, right? But that's not quite how life often works. Life is very messy. And there is quite a bit of stuff in the Bible that makes us and should make us uncomfortable, especially mm-hmm. with violence. There's times when people are violent against one another. There's times that God inflicts violence, times when God commands others to inflict violence on others, and times where it just is recorded in the Bible that something really bad happened to this person or to this group of people. So we're going to take a couple weeks here and we're going to talk about some of those times because I, I don't think we should just ignore these times when there's violence.
1: I, I'm glad you, you reminded us that when we, when we closed our last series, when we looked at the book of Esther, that like, there's this tension that maybe the text itself doesn't seem to acknowledge the tension of. it. Like, it's a happy ending for Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish people are all saved. And also 75,000 members of the Persian Empire all killed. And it seemed to be, well, they had it coming because they were going to fight against the Jewish people and they would have killed them, so it was a you know, kill or be killed kind of circumstance. But that's not really addressed. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of, I, maybe you've seen this meme floating around that takes a look at the Star Wars movies and says, well, wait a second, when they blow up the Death Star, how many like, people who worked on the Death Star who were like the janitor or something like that who weren't evil people, but they, they were just in charge of mopping the floors on the Death Star. They blow up. That, like, we, we sometimes forget in, in storytelling, we're sort of lumped in, oh, this is all good, when maybe there's, there, there's questionable things that, that happen. And in the Bible itself, there are times when clear that you're supposed to cheer for one side or the other, um, and yet we sometimes don't pay attention to what, what are the human costs of this, especially in light of Jesus and the, the vision we get from Jesus of a love for all people that even includes enemies. So how do we, how do we go ahead and go back and read our own Bibles with the the way violence is portrayed there. But at least we have to wrestle with these questions.
2: So our first text that we're going to look at today is from Genesis, because where do we start in the beginning? Where do we start in the Bible? At the beginning! So we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 9. This is, uh, so God has just blessed Noah and his sons and has released them from the ark. And has said, you know, be be fertile, multiply, and fill the earth. All the animals of the on the earth will fear you and dread you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So basically, they have dominion over all of the things. Um, And then God says, I will surely demand your blood for human life. For from every living thing I will demand it. From humans, from a man for his brother, I will demand something for a human life. Whoever sheds human blood, by human, his blood will be shed. For in the divine image, God made human beings. So what this sounds like, at least to me, and correct me if you guys are hearing this differently, this sounds like God is pro-death penalty.
1: I think absolutely in Christian history, this has been used as one of those foundational texts to say, if you take the life of another human being that the penalty is, is death. And that, that is absolutely mm-hmm. one of the biblical passages that's been used historically to support this, yeah. And I think one of the additional challenges is, um, who, who, who does this text imagine is carrying out this sentence, right? So, like, the way this is framed, this is, the earth is still moist from the flood. You know, like, this is, we are just getting out of the boat and rainbow probably still hanging in the sky, and almost like out of nowhere, like nobody has been murdered yet, and yet God's are like, by the way, if you kill anybody, you have to kill them. Um, who, who, is the, who is doing the killing, I guess? Because
2: there's like eight people, right? right? Like there's Noah, his wife, their three sons, and each of them have a wife. Right. So, you know, when God is saying um, from humans, from a man for his brother... You know, he's saying this to a group <laughs> of three brothers and their wives. Like, everybody's related.
1: You can tell that it sort of goes like, I'm looking at you, Sham." <laughs> but like, so yeah, like, the one of the challenges is, e- even if we make the leap to does this or does this not support capital punishment, is... What, what is being envisioned in a society or in this moment in the story when there are no civil governments and no ability to you know, correctly try somebody? I, mean, like, I, I do think it's a fair question in our culture and country where we have criminal and civil courts and people whose job is to litigate who did a crime and is it warranted, is it premeditated, whatever. But even, that's a world of difference here where it seems like it is envisioning if someone kills somebody else, make sure that person who does the killing dies. And it seems to be preventative. It seems to be the idea here is, this is such an important thing. Human beings are made in the image of God. Human beings are of such innate value, you can't treat them as disposable. If somebody does that, if somebody murders somebody else, that person has clearly gone so far off the edge, that can't be allowed to continue. And we've not invented jails yet. This is the way to stop or prevent. It seems to me like the impulse is prevention rather than like like a pound of flesh, or like cosmic setting the balances. And again, maybe I'm maybe I'm mishearing that. But to me, the, the invocation of the image of God here seems to be an important piece of this. Mm-hmm. Human beings are of such value, you can't treat them lightly. If somebody does, there need to be high consequences for what's done to them, and less like you have to do a certain amount of killing to rectify the first killer.
2: So I will fully own that I, at this time in my life, can no longer read the story of Noah without thinking of the movie with Russell Crowe called Noah. All right. (laughs) Well, the
1: first step is admitting it. (laughs) Yes.
2: Um, But in that movie, you know, they show quite a bit of the life pre-flood, which I find very helpful because in most stories it's just like, Oh yeah here's this guy out in the desert and he's building an ark and everybody thinks he's crazy but like for the most part everybody in community is, is isn't community and getting along and like it's it's kind of hard to conceptualize humans so sinful that like god decides to wipe them all out like what does that look like does it look like society now where we are still so sinful but god has decided hey i'm not going to destroy you all with the flood or were they actually like way, way worse? And this movie and Russell Crowe, like they definitely painted a nice picture of humanity at its worst. And part of that was treating people like they're disposable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that this, you know, the end of this, of um, whoever sh- sheds human blood by human, his blood will be shed. For in the divine image, God made human beings. That, you know, we're, we're not disposable. And that is because of this unique relationship that we have with God. And the fact that we are all, you know, I am, you are, you are. Um, that person that lives across the street that you really dislike because they, have, they like to have loud parties at 1 a.m. on Friday nights. That person, you, we're all made in God's image. You don't get to just say, oh yes, that person who I hate, who I disagree with who, you know, oppresses my other neighbor, they were also made in God's image. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's such an important idea that all this conversation, even if we get uncomfortable with the idea of is, is God telling us we can murder people to punish murderers, that, like, it's grounded in the idea that the image of God is so important that all human beings are made in this image of God, no matter how many ways we've blown it and marred that image or tarnished or whatever image, you know, metaphor you want to use, that that's non-negotiable and that I can't treat other people as disposable just because I don't like them. Even though history is littered with examples of ways we've done that to each other and found outs. Found out, well, they're the enemy so I'm allowed to, well, hold on, or they, I don't like them, or you know, they're a different tribe or they're a different color or they speak a different language or they're a different religion. These are not given as a viable reasons for ending somebody's life. Here, the idea is when someone has done something so terrible as to take a human life, that's Tra- that requires uh, a, a stiff penalty or something like that. But it's, it's to prevent cheapening human life, at least that way it's framed here in Genesis 9.
0: And Steve, you brought up something earlier. Like, we have to remember when we're talking about Genesis 9, we don't have the cities, we don't have jails, we don't have our current system of law with courts and all that. So that you know, right. This is going to be a nomadic people. And right. while there's only eight of them right now, they're eventually going to mm-hmm. be fruitful and multiply, and there's going to be many of them. But for a long time, they are going to be a nomadic people. And so they don't have a place where they can send somebody who does something this horrendous, right. murdering another person. They can't send them off into this building or into this camp or some other place where they're going to be away from people right. and not be able to do that again. Right. Right, right. And so I think that's something you know, we, we sometimes forget. Like In a nomadic lifestyle, if you've got somebody who has murdered someone What's to say that that's going to stop, you know, what's going to stop them from doing it again? Right, right, right. So this is how you end that that line, right, then and there. Right. You know, you murdered somebody, well, guess what? We're not going to give you the chance to do it again.
1: Right. Now, again, like, I think there's an important conversation we're going to need to keep having throughout this whole series about where is the difference between, what did this mean in an original setting, mm-hmm. whether the life of Israel or pre-patriarchs and matriarchs, you know, wherever it falls. And then what does this mean, and how do we avoid misusing a passage nowadays? Because, like, again, we we earlier on made the leap to, oh, this passage might be relevant to the conversation about capital punishment. It is probably germane to the subject, Mm -hmm. but it's worth noting, even that requires a lot of leaps of institutions that didn't exist here. And in our culture and in our time, where we do have institutions like a criminal justice system, which, again— a whole separate conversation, maybe, how do you reform it or make sure it's just and doesn't you know, mm-hmm. wrongly prosecute or target people, who, whatever. But like, we do have the advantage of a system of, oh, we, we have laws for what to do when this happens, and how do you bring evidence to decide? And it seems to me that an earlier application of this may be off the table for us now. What I want to suggest mm-hmm. is there may have been a time before we had courts and things like that where, in a nomadic or lawless place, just, somebody did a killing, we have to stop them, and somebody was put to death in order to stop them from killing more people. That has gotten misused, or this kind of passage mm-hmm. has been used as a reason why things like lynch mobs could happen in uh, American history, and certainly throughout other history as well, where someone, gets, uh, someone does something that the community thinks is deserving of death, and instead of going through the right channels of bringing them to justice or to a criminal or court or trial, the crowd just decides, we don't like this person, uh, we think they're guilty, or we think there needs to be blood, we've decided this is the guilty person, rather than actually proving it, mm-hmm. and then they get killed. And whether it's hung or stoned or whatever, like, there's all sorts of ways for this to be misused, or to be um, mm-hmm. uh, abused in ways that empower the mob against the innocent, or the, the wrongly accused. I guess I think that's an important thing for us to like wrestle with for a little bit. Is mm-hmm. if you've got a clear cut case where I saw the person do the killing, I, yep, I, I will testify. I saw them, and we can all be sure we got the right person. But if there's an offense in the community and nobody knows who did it, but the community just decides, ah, we don't like Fred, let's get him, I bet Fred did it, he's the weirdo. Um, it'd be really easy for a lynch mob to say, yeah, well, the world would be so much better without Fred anyway, so whether he did or didn't kill, you know, Millie is, is not the problem, we've got to kill Fred, and this gives us pretext. History is littered with lots of examples of that. Or, communities deciding, well, maybe they didn't commit murder, but they, you know, whistled at a white girl, so Emmett Till's got it. Like, the, the, the thing that scares me is, Passages like this have gotten used in American history in ways that are not only horrific, but contrary to the spirit of what is even intended here. But with the idea of, look, the Bible gives permission. When there's a grave injustice in the community, you can wrestle up a militia, or wrestle up a lynch mob, or call it whatever you want. And we've got to you know, take back our streets and stop the bad people, when maybe that's not what's really being authorized
0: what it, it seems to make it very clear here. We're not talking about just any crime. We're not talking about stealing. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about even a, something like adultery mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. something like that. This this is murder. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is the shedding of a man's blood. Mm-hmm. Murder, killing. And for that, you are allowed to kill the person who did it. Right. Um, but like you said, Steve, we, we have taken passages like this and attributed them to things as... Minor and insignificant as whistling at a white woman as, as as a young black male. Right,
1: right, right. And I guess I think one of the things that I I am concerned about too, in the way this
2: gets this can
1: be or has been misused, is um, how quickly once we get the idea of we could just get a. a, a group of community members and stop this particular injustice, that, yeah, you know, it's it's, it's a logical application of, our, of the biblical text to apply to this crime or this crime or this crime, when yet yeah, this is a really surprisingly limited, like, this is only about murder in this okay. instance. And it, it, it seems to me like later on in Israel's life, they even realized that this was too... Um, open to misinterpretation because you get commands in the Torah about like the difference between unintentional manslaughter yeah. and murder. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, if my ox got loose and gored somebody, well, okay, nobody's trying to murder somebody. What do we do there? There are different cases or different scenarios. Again, it reflects a different setting. Here, you're talking about basically the Wild West. You know, you're talking about like yeah. a, a lot There's there's no institution, there's no community, there's no society. <clears throat> it's how do you start over from scratch? And later in the Torah, you get you're, we're going to have you know, s- cities and towns and farms and, and sort of a, a fixed common life where you can have things like a court to decide, was this murder, was this manslaughter, or whatever. Um, but it seems to me like this is a, a like, like Sarah said, a good place to start our conversation, but it's worth recognizing this on its own. You cannot build a meaningful theology about what, what violence we're allowed to do on each other with only this mm-hmm. text. That, that, that would be woefully short. Sure, huh? It does seem interesting to me, though, that the reasoning behind all this that we talked about is the idea of human beings made in the image of God. I think this might be the last time in Genesis, maybe in the Bible, where that language of the image of God comes back. Maybe it comes up in the Torah, but echoing this, but like it is not a frequently return to idea. But it shows up here and back at creation with that idea of the importance of human beings are so essential that, um, and are so special, sacred, whatever, that to, to harm a human being, to kill a human being, is, is does violence to the nature of God or something like that. But interesting that that idea doesn't get fleshed out more, more thoroughly in ways that other theologians might want to. L-
2: let, let me ask
1: the, the this question of the group then. Um, in this passage, we're dealing with the situation of God authorizing human beings to use violence against each other for the purposes of limiting violence, really. I mean, like It seems like this this is a situation where the command is: you have to put somebody to death with the intention of limiting how much violence is allowed in the mm-hmm. community. And again, we're going to be exploring in other passages places where the text says God did violence or God killed somebody or God did this, and other places where the God's authorization to use violence isn't like a limiting. It's like a, it, it, it seems like a free for all. You know, honestly, um, what are things particularly about this passage maybe that that seem like? Are are important to note that are maybe different from how we're going to wrestle with when God uses violence or when when God commands a conquest of say a promised land.
0: Well, this comes after a, this whole discussion of lifeblood, mm-hmm. and and right before this we hear we talk about you know animals and not eating meat with it has its lifeblood mm-hmm. in it. You know, so mm-hmm. I I think that has something to do with it. And God even says. Um, you must not eat an animal that has its lifeblood in it. You know, like so. The idea that life is sacred mm-hmm. to God, mm-hmm. I think, has something to do with it. Though, I mean, I don't know. half form thoughts are coming out now. So, it,
2: it it, to me, there seems to be an unspoken second half of this because, like, there's because God is kind of talking about the animals and how humans have this role to play in their care and in turn get like Mm -hmm. they will get eaten but also don't eat them in this certain way and then suddenly there's this little aside of like hey also don't kill each other Mm yeah um and then it goes on to keep talking about the covenants and what that god is making with the descendants of noah but also like again there's some more about animals Mm -hmm. and like kind of like eating animals so there's there, it's almost as if god is saying don't kill each other because you're not food you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah so. and, and it's one of those things that it's like it's not quite said but like because of the context surrounding it yeah i think that might be part of it yeah.
1: and in a way like maybe it maybe it's not really envisioning the danger of cannibalism but the idea of don't treat humans like objects that we are human that humans are subjects and that there is mm. a certain like you can't treat people just as resources or means to an end. And so, yeah, one immediate implication is don't murder people the way... And if you're asking the question, well, why am I allowed to eat this cow, but I'm not allowed to eat a human being, sort of here's it. Well, image of God is sort of the way Genesis 9 answers it. Well, you're making the image of God, and presumably the cow is not. I mean, like at least Mm -hmm. that's the way Genesis seems to answer it. But it does lay down this idea of human beings are of such infinitely sacred worth that you can't do things even in the name of expediency or it could be practical or whatever. No, you can't treat other people like objects.
2: And, and I kind of wonder how that line of thinking could be applied to to, to today's society, which is very capitalistic. Because mm-hmm. I think that we have a tendency to treat one another as resources. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Especially companies which are rather large and like they don't necessarily know all of their employees. But there seems to be a certain mentality of humans as resources, employees Mm -hmm. as resources, in a very, like... Unhealthy
1: way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, like, it, it's it's the way we treat people who are employees, especially when you're in a situation where it becomes faceless, where it's not like, oh, I know Susie, she's really important, her. I want to treat her right. But like, when you're talking about huge, huge numbers, and they're you know just numbers or or names, but not faces and stories, it's easy to treat people like they are objects. Even the language, like you said, of human resources suggests you're talking about commodities rather than humans. Um, and it seems to me, too, it's really tempting to treat human life that way. I mean, even when it comes to things like disease, it's even like living through a pandemic. It's really easy to, to get lost in the numbers of, um, uh, well, so many thousands of people die anyway, that it's easy to, to cheapen the value of human life because, yeah, there's so many of us, a lot of us die anyway. And it seems to me like the, the Genesis 9 perspective like, doesn't want us to lose that, the, the, the sense of tragedy, that every mm-hmm. human life is, is of infinite worth. Um, it reminds me of that line, and it, it's weird to be quoting Joseph Stalin, but I think it's it, it illustrative. Does, it doesn't have a line, something like, one death is a tragedy, but a million deaths is a statistic. That it's sort of like, we human beings, if you can reduce yeah. our appreciation of human beings to just statistics, we sort of flog over. Um, and that when, we, when you're talking about thousands and thousands of people who die. It's, it's easy for us to forget their faces and names and their, you know, kids who attach to those names. Um, and this passage seems to protest against that. Don't let that happen. Don't allow people to be treated or viewed as just resources or as commodities or just numbers.
0: So is this passage, like this whole chapter with this idea of, you know, eating animals but not, you know, not killing humans and, and all that a reminder to Noah and to his sons and their wives of the beginning of Genesis, you know, where Adam and Eve were given dominion over the animals. Well, they were vegetarians then. They didn't eat the animals. Right. And now they, okay, now God's saying, okay, you can eat the animals now. Right, right, right. But remember, you can eat them because they're not made in my image.
1: It, it's interesting. To, I think that that's, there is a, a deliberate connection back to the creation story going on here. And it almost feels to me like, um, like God dealing in various ways at various steps with our brokenness, in mm-hmm. ways that, it, it, again, this is going to sound weird, but it sounds like God is sort of settled. Like, like the original vision, we're not going to kill anything, and now, alright, now you're murdering each other. Alright, don't murder each other, you can eat animals. Like, in a way that, like, when Jesus is approached about divorce, and they're like, well, Moses said we're allowed to, and Jesus goes, it was because of the hardness of your heart that God, yeah. there, God's putting limits on how you throw people away, that you not do that casually. Um, not that God says, yes, you know, divorcing is, is a super awesome, fun thing. Um, and I think in a similar way, there's this sort of, uh, all right, we now live in a world where death is a reality, and you can't unring that bell, um, but that there are boundaries or guardrails put around that, so that human beings don't treat each other as disposable along whatever lines. That there's like, the, the reason is, if somebody's taken somebody else's life, okay, but we don't just get to wipe you out because you're a different tribe, or you're a different language, or you're different from me, or something No matter how tempting, or no matter how... Our calculus goes, but if we kill them, then there's more resources for us. No, no, no. Those, those, are, <laughs> those boundaries are, are put out. I guess a question I want to toss out to you that makes this, um, I guess, a, a pernicious passage, if, if, that, if, if I can make up a phrase. Um, when we look at other passages later... I think there's going to be easier ways to put up guardrails to prevent other passages from being abused in a way that this one is particularly open because it looks like it is given to all human beings for all time. Mm-hmm. Like later on, when God unleashes, say, plagues or Elijah calls down she bears to maul somebody, like you can say very limited, this is just for this context, God sends plagues because Pharaoh deserves it or whatever. And if God's doing the sending of Lice or hail or, or you know, the angel of death or whatever—that's God doing it. I don't. I, I don't get permission to do that. Only God has powers send the angel of death. Um, and you could even make the argument in the conquest story. This may or may not be faithful exegesis when we get there. But you could even make the argument: okay, there's boundaries put on this. This is a one-time event for Israel to do in this time when they're occupying the. But that doesn't automatically give you permission for uh, genocide when you want to conquer a land in mm-hmm. you're in, the, in today. But Genesis 9 is, a, is, is spoken like to human beings when there's just eight of them, and that are presented as the progenitors of all of humanity. It's not presented as, this is just temporary, or just bound in this culture at this time. And I guess, I, I, I get that. There's a sense in which, good, you want to have a pretty universal sense of human beings are of such importance you can't murder them willy really, nilly really. But I also am concerned about it is super easy, then, to, to justify what the thing I want to do. I want to get rid of so-and-so. Oh, Genesis 9 gives me permission because it's not God doing the killing, it's God saying I can do the killing. Or it's uh, not bound to just historical Israel. This is given to all human beings. I can do this. How do, how do we put up guardrails against that? At least, at least to me, that feels like that's a, a misuse of the text. Um, what, what, what helps guard us against that?
0: I think a growing understanding of how the law evolves over time. Okay. So this is given to Noah and his sons because they're the only human beings on earth right now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But as humanity grows again, as societies form again, then we get, you know, eventually we get to Abraham and the forming of Israel. Mm-hmm. Different laws are going to be put into place that kind of counteract this law. Let's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. say, you know, if somebody murders someone... You can't just go and and murder them. Mm -hmm. And and so we have to grow with the law. I mean, this is Genesis 9. Let's look at Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the later laws that come and say, okay, this worked for this time when they were a nomadic people. But once Israel is settled, once they are a people, the law changes. And so then that should change for us.
1: I, I think that insight is really important, but it is like revolutionary in thinking out what that actually means. Mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes we talk, especially Protestants who ground our authority in Scripture as opposed to having a Pope or councils who can make in definitive statements for us. We end up, okay, the Bible is authoritative, and the Bible, sort of what the Bible says, there's our authority. And yet, how the Bible means what it means changes. Like, again, mm-hmm. like this, this passage gets tweaked, you could say, with the later Torah, that sort of says, yep, I know that's what Genesis 9 said, and now here is, for Israel's life, this is what the boundaries look like, and here's what the laws are. And to say, Jesus, again, sort of says, that's going to look different for the New Testament community, the people who are followers of Jesus. To recognize that the, the Bible can be authoritative, but also in ways that you don't just get to pluck out ah, this verse, give me permission, do it. It holds for all time and all circumstances. That may not be what the biblical authors intend either. I, mean, like that, I, I think the writer, the, whoever puts together the Torah as Torah, knows that there's this passage in Genesis 9 that later is going to get mm-hmm. revised in the Mosaic Law and you know, Exodus Numbers and Leviticus and all those passages. And doesn't erase this, but seems to say, yeah, this is what Genesis 9 says, and then come over here, this is what Israel has to live with when Israel has a society and institutions.
0: And, and not to pull the numbers game, because I, I hate pulling the numbers game, because there are so many things that are said just once in Scripture, and yet we yeah. hold to them, and, and, and they have become truths for us as, as Christians. But these are two verses, mm-hmm. compared to how many verses that we see in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus and Numbers that speak against capital punishment sure. you know and, and you know the times that jesus speaks against capital punishment sure. you know I, I think we need to we need to be careful how we do that yeah. weighing of yeah, things yeah, yeah, yeah. again because there there are sometimes you know it's a one off verse and we've made that a whole
1: yeah.
0: theology and, and that's okay you know the ancient church has said that's okay mm-hmm. but um you know two verses compared to all those other ones sure,
1: sure, sure.
0: for me that holds some weight
1: sure 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 And I I guess I do think, if we're going to specifically ask the questions about what does this mean for capital punishment, um, that, again, this doesn't even really envision a criminal justice system. This is closer to allowing a mob and to kill somebody that they need to die. Mm -hmm. And then even capital punishment sort of puts an end to, no, we're not going to do the lynch mob thing anymore. But we have other structures. And you can also ask, I think, meaningfully, in the 21st century, if you are convinced that the criminal justice system that you have lets people who are wrongly convicted be executed. You've got to do some real serious rethinking, even if you're still theoretically okay with capital punishment, to make sure you're not executing innocent people. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of reasons to believe there are errors or problems in a justice system that, that allows So I, I guess I feel like the, the whole conversation about whether capital punishment is okay is even removed even further from this passage because this, it, there's so many, way, so, so many other factors, I guess, that you have to consider before really thinking, do we want to put people to death? Um, when it's so easy for people to be wrongly accused,
0: And I don't know how much time we have to open a can of worms, but I want to open at least a small one. Um, Here, God gives people the permission to kill somebody who has already killed someone. And Mm -hmm. yet, when Cain kills Abel Mm -hmm. in Genesis 4, Mm -hmm. God does not permit anyone to kill Cain. Right,
2: right,
0: right. So how do we, you know... That comes before. That's not like this came after this right, story. Right, yeah, right. that came before this story, right. and now it seems like God is reversing right. himself on what he said about
1: right. And if, again, to me, it feels like this is. It, it would be misreading the text to say there's going to be one place where God gives the divine Like that's not how this. That's not how the authority of these scriptures work.
2: So, so I always kind of wonder, especially with this particular verse, if this isn't God as parental type figure Mm -hmm. saying, hey, if you do this, this is going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I say stuff like that to my three-year-old all the time, and I'm bluffing. And (laughs) I'm really hoping he doesn't call my bluff and do whatever it is I'm trying to get him to stop to not do. Right. You know, and and I don't know whether or not that was God's intention of, like, hey, yeah, you haven't done this yet, but don't do it because it's really bad.
1: Right. And I mean that's that's an important piece that clearly the, the intention is God's concern that nobody be murdered. I mean, they, and I think this is where in classical theology you talk about the first use of the law is meant to restrain people from doing their worst impulses. So if I've got this fear of, oh, should I rob the bank or not? Oh, I'm gonna get caught and thrown in jail. Now nah, I'm not gonna rob that bank. It's that same sort of there uh, their consequences built in, you will you'll will suffer those consequences if you break this hugely important commandment about murdering people. And I think that's certainly a piece of what's going on.
0: But isn't that what some of the people that promote capital punishment say? Like, the whole reason we should have capital punishment is to keep people from murdering other people?
1: Right, right. and again, I think think that's a... But it doesn't work! Right, (laughs) it needs to be a a voice at the table. But yeah, there's, there's lots of evidence that big picture, it's not a deterrent the way people imagine yeah. it is. I'm, I, su- I suppose if you kill the person who has murdered, that person won't be doing any more murdering. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a, I guess important to question whether that is or is not an effective deterrent. Um, which where it gets more into the policy nuts and bolts of does this, does this accomplish what you want it mm-hmm. to But I think your points there underlying all this is uh, at least I'm hearing that the, the, the reason the penalty is so high is because God doesn't want there to be any violence or hurting one another at all and God doing yeah. whatever it will take to stop us from hurting each other. Not that there's some like imaginary set of, of scales and every time someone is murdered somebody else has to die to balance the scales or something like that. I think we bring that sort of picture of balancing scales or restoring balance of the force or whatever. And that's not how this is every human being, that every 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 uh, every life is precious in such a way that it is worth being protected, regardless of whether they are useful to you or like you are part of your tribe or not. I guess I think, as, a, as at least for me, as a final thought, that's an important piece of the context too. That even though you noted know this comes after the creation and the flood, it comes just before the table of nations stories about how the people all get scattered mm-hmm. in different places. And a recurring problem of human beings is us dividing each other into different categories and deciding you're not part of my tribe, therefore you are expendable. And that this sort of operates as a pivot, as a hinge, not only looking backward to the creation story and the image of God, but also as we become diverse, different groups of people, as Genesis 9, 10, 11 then narrate, you're not allowed to say, they're our enemy nation, we killed them just because they exist. No, they, mm-hmm. they are, they're infinite worth. And so murder is, is the a reason we're allowing to, to put someone to death, but not just you're different or you're competing for my resources, those things are not allowed. Okay, so obviously we haven't resolved all the issues that are raised by this text, but I do think we've done a decent job of at least laying some of the ground that we're going to cover in this series. Other thoughts we need to make sure we raise from Genesis 9 before we plug ahead for next time?
2: Remember, you are made in the image of God, so therefore do not go and kill somebody else who is also made
1: in the image of God. That seems like a good place to land. (laughs) Thanks everybody for listening here on Crazy Faith Talk.
0: Talk to you later. Bye!